The Audible's NFL Football Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code NFL Podcast at FanDuel.com for a bonus match of up to $200. We're also sponsored by the SeatGeek app, the easiest way to find a great deal, pay for your ticket, and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code AUDIBLES for $20 off your first purchase. Come why, on! Why is, it, why is it Harbaugh's fault? Why is it Harbaugh's because fault? Because it's he's the coach. It's always, it's always the why coach's fault. Why is it John Harbaugh's fault that the offensive line It's always the coach's fault. It's not going to happen. Chris, you're on my side with that one, right? I'm never on your side. You know that. What's happening, everybody out there? This is the Sports Illustrated Audible's football podcast. I am your host, John DePietro. I'll be joined shortly by SI.com's resident NFL experts, Chris Burke and Doug Farrar. This week, the guys and I overreact to week three NFL football happenings. We go over under for wins for the Raiders and the Chicago Bears. We discuss the early flurry of flags on the football field, alliteration, and more all on this week's episode of the Audible's football podcast. Chris Burke and Doug Farrar, what's going on, guys? How was your week three of NFL action there, Chris? Uh, I forgot how much coffee I drank during the NFL season. But other than that, I think everything's going fine. It was a pretty entertaining week. The late games on Sunday have been uh, kind of disappointing for yeah. a couple weeks in a row now. Yeah, I feel like the whole slate's been kind of underwhelming what, uh, so far, of last, at least the last two weeks anyway. What do you think, Doug? Uh, I, I think just early in the season, you get some interesting play, and this goes back to what we discussed before about the uh, CBA rules on contact. You get guys who aren't quite on the same page as far as blocking, tackling, you know, little things like that. But I, I have no complaints. Uh, before we get into uh, our overreactions for week three, uh, it seems like every year the same kind of complaints come up. You know, too many flags, poor play, all this stuff. Is, is this just beginning of the season uh you know ironing things out doug well i think the too many flags thing is legitimate i mean if mm-hmm. you watch the uh <laughs> you watch any jeff triplet game and you watch him you know him yeah I, I was following you on twitter apparently you're not a, apparently you're not a fan after penalty after penalty this guy it's been known for years this guy doesn't know what he's doing on the field his crews are routinely unprepared and he's the director of officials so he's kind of got tenure, <laughs> and you just wonder why. I, think I mean, that, Chris, I think, I'm not I'm not talking out of school here, right? No, I mean that was Triplet had the Broncos Lions game, which I'm trying to remember the exact number, but I I think five plays went to review. At least three got overturned. Four were overturned. Four were overturned. All right, so that alone tells you you're not doing a great job calling the game, uh, and, and that's without. Uh, they blew the play dead on one of those, which was a fumble by Denver that Detroit scooped up and scored on. And should have been and a touchdown. Because they blew it dead, they had to move the ball back to the 30-yard line or whatever. So uh, that game was sort of uh, the latest piece of evidence for that crew being in over its head, on a, as you said, on a regular basis. Yeah, it's it's really bad. I do think, I mean, week one set a record for the most flags in any given week in the NFL. So... Uh, I mean, I, there, there is, to your point, John, I think just sort of ironing out the rough spots for the players. I think the officials come in after an offseason worth of these 
these calls being hammered home. I, let's focus on this. Let's focus on this. So right, they, the points of emphasis you, change. So it's they get a little more antsy. I think early in the year. I think that's why we see it lighten up later. But yeah, I mean it's been brutal. It's just really stilted games, and it's hard for anything to get a a, a flow to it. I think that's why a lot of these, at least the games that are nationally televised, are uh, pretty rough at times. I also think that officials are. I think they're being drilled and pressured, if pressured is the right word, to focus on the safety points of emphasis so when the latest concussion story comes out, the NFL can say, oh, we flagged you know, this many more roughing the passer, this many more legal contact, this many more blah, blah, blah. And I think it's probably almost to the point where you don't get downgraded as much for having a really bad game as Jeff Triplett did during uh, uh, Detroit and Denver as you get for not flagging the right thing. So I think in that sort of panic, officials are erring on the side of, we'll just flag anything that looks remotely like that. One flag that we didn't see last week, I was just, just want to get your thoughts on this real quick, was the hit on uh, Ben Roethlisberger. Got the sprained MCL, going to miss the next uh, six weeks or so. Do you think a flag should have been called on that real quick, Doug? Mm, I think I thought it was borderline. It looked to me like Baron was. It's it's hard when a, it looks like a player is pushed in or forced into uh, another player, which is kind right. of what it looked like to me. It doesn't. It didn't look like he was targeting. Yeah, it certainly didn't look like he was doing it on purpose, going for right. a, a low hit. So that's that's a judgment call. And by the way, if we're going to talk about officiating at all, um, we should talk about the fact that judgment calls should be reviewable. Um, not not specifically in this case because there wasn't a flag, so there's nothing to review. But I think in this case it was, you know, it was borderline. I think it could have gone either way. I wouldn't have been surprised, put it this way, because the, the officials are directed to focus more on penalties where, um, oh, what was the play? Uh, the Adam Jones where he took his you know, Amari Cooper's right. helmet off and beat him over the head with it. And the NFL said, well, if Cooper had been injured, there would have been a bigger fine. Yeah. So that kind of tells you where the NFL's point of emphasis is. You know, it's, it's as much about looking like you called it right as calling it right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wrote up something on that roethlisberger Baron play because, and the main reason I wrote it up is because this is another spot in the rule book where, Things are pretty vague. There's kind of a gray, maybe not vague is not the right rule. There, there's certainly a gray area uh, because of how the rule is worded. If in that situation, if the defender's not blocked into the quarterback and the quarterback's still in the pocket as a passer and the defender hits him below the knee with his shoulder first, it's supposed to be a penalty. But if he hits him with his arm while he's trying to grab him, it's not a penalty. And, uh, you know, how's a, how's a referee supposed to see that? We're, we're, already talking about how they miss and botch calls all over the place anyway and we're asking them to try and determine at full speed whether or not a a falling defender hit a quarterback with his shoulder or the upper part of his arm so uh i mean i I, there were angles where it looked like it was a penalty and there were angles where it looked like it wasn't a penalty i'm surprised it wasn't called a penalty given the emphasis on protecting quarterbacks that still have the ball in their hands and, and are still in the pocket. I, you know, he went low, whether it was on purpose or by accident, certainly looked like an accident. He went low and Roethlisberger got hurt. I mean, in general, you kind of expect a flag to come out there. Maybe uh, Big Ben is still too young to get that call. I don't know. Maybe. 
Let's get into it. Our week three overreaction. Overreactions. First overreaction. Guys, the season is useless. It's just for fantasy football purposes now. It's going to be the Patriots and the Cardinals. Destiny, they're on a course for Super Bowl 50 in Santa Clara. Let's just play out the season for fantasy football purposes. I'm done. Doug? Um, I think that's for the NBA podcast. Well, what is that? What, what The Cardinals and the Patriots are going to be in the NBA? No, I think the I think it's a lot more legitimate reaction to say that the NBA regular season is useless because it sometimes turns out to be. I don't think the NFL regular season is useless at all. I'm not sure where that one comes from. No, they're this 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 these are by far the two best teams. They're going to play each other. It's just it's just destiny now. They're, there's there, there's no right what there's no other teams going to be going to uh, com, uh, compare to these te- two teams right now. They're the two best teams right now. Yes. I think Green Bay is going to have something to say about that. Uh, I mean, you watching that, especially since they're now headed towards home field. But the way Aaron Rodgers is playing, and you know, we we always talk about him. So, not to go too deep into it, but uh, this is just. I, I hope people realize what they're watching when they watch Aaron Rodgers. Yes. I, I mean, I hope that when he retires, people aren't uh, sort of looking back and thinking, oh, I should have paid more attention. Because what he's doing is, I, I mean, I, I certainly think he's already getting himself into that conversation as the best quarterback of all time. Um, and the way he's playing over these last few years, especially at home, is just mind-boggling. I mean, he's incredible. And the, the offense, obviously, is tailored very well towards what he can do. But it, it, he's just amazing to watch play so I think that they're going to be a very tough out in the NFC I think Cincinnati certainly has established itself as a threat in the AFC and Denver too for as much as we talk about that offense struggling that defense is outstanding I mean they just talk more about that defense like now and and I think they can get to the Super Bowl on that I mean we've certainly seen teams get to the Super Bowl with a incredible defense and a shaky offense so I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities that that happens. So, I mean, I, I think the Cardinals are playing extremely well. The Patriots obviously are, are clobbering people, but I, I wouldn't feel comfortable saying that this thing's over. I mean, the Cardinals were 8-1 and one when uh, Carson Palmer got hurt, and they finished the season 11-5 and five and lost in the wild card round. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Let's just stay on Aaron Rodgers for a second, do a little bit of a what-if overreaction here. What if Aaron Rodgers goes through the rest of his career, just has the one Super Bowl? Uh, Chris, you said that he can possibly be the greatest quarterback of all time. If he has just that soup, that one win, can you look at his career as a disappointment then? Uh, you know, saying Peyton Manning, he, he's only got the one. Brett Favre, he only got the one. Put him in line with those quarterbacks and not Tom Brady, Joe Montana, and that class. Yeah, I mean, I, it absolutely would be a disappointment if he only won once. I mean, I don't. It's tough. We're bordering on QB wins territory again. I don't know how much you put some of these playoff losses on his shoulders when they haven't been able to play defense in those playoff games and things like that. But yeah, the, for the caliber of quarterback that he is, I think one Super Bowl win would be disappointing. I think it will be disappointing if Peyton Manning ends his career with one Super Bowl win, given all that he's accomplished. I think he probably would tell you that. So. Um, you know, I don't know that you necessarily have to dig into Super Bowl wins if you're going to look at the best quarterbacks of all time. I mean, I think it certainly helps the argument, but I don't know that you drop Rodgers significantly in that conversation because 
you know, hypothetically, he only wins one in his career. But um, I, I also wouldn't be surprised if he won two or three more mm-hmm. with the way he he's playing right now. I, I think that he's certainly capable of getting his team back as early as this year to uh, that height. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it would. I guess if you're matching him up with Brady, certainly you give the edge to Brady in that category. But there's a lot. A lot of other factors working in Rogers' favor. I think you always need to look at context with that. I mean, most of Dan Marino's career, he never, he didn't have a running game, and the defense was average after the Killer Bees sort of died out in the mid '80s. Uh, John Elway took his team to three Super Bowls and pretty much dragged the entire team with him, and then all of a sudden, oh, he's great because he won two Super Bowls with a great defense and a, a you know borderline Hall of Fame running back. I mean, is that? I I would really question that mode of thinking. Most of Rodgers' career, uh, certainly pre-Eddie Lacy, the running situation, running back situation was average at best. His offensive line has only been good in the last couple of years, and the defense has been up and down. So I don't I don't specifically pay attention to that stuff. I you know Brady's in a different class, but we've seen enough years where. Um, I remember 2009, I mean, he was he came back from that injury, he was playing great. The defense was iffy at best. Uh, the 2007 season when they went undefeated, they lost one guy, linebacker Roosevelt Colvin, and their defense just went down the drain. I mean, are, are we going to say that Brady's overall performance in 2007 is worse because he didn't quote-unquote win the Super Bowl? I mean, I, I get what you're saying, I just I think you need to be really really careful about context when you're talking about a guy's overall accomplishments. I'll say this about Rodgers. I mean, Bill James had the whole peak value versus career value. Peak value, Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. If he extends this play for another 5 years, I'll I'll say he's the greatest of all time because I've never seen a guy who can do everything he can do. Aaron Rodgers right now the best quarterback in the league. Cardinals fans, Patriots fans, buy your tickets to Santa Clara. You're going to the Super Bowl. Congratulations. Next overreaction. Does this mean we get the next two months off? No, you still have to work because everybody still talks about their fantasy football team. That's that's the number one important thing. I'm watching ESPN. The the anchors are talking about their fantasy football team like I care. But whatever. Thank uh, God. But um, that that by the way is worse than quarterback wins. No, it's 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 it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's it's insane. It's the only thing people care about for whatever reason. But anyway, next overreaction. Doug, I think you'll agree with me, and this won't be an overreaction based on last week's podcast. This is the worst Bears team of all time. Uh, I th- yeah, I think that's a legitimate. There's a legitimate case to be made there. Now, this this specific Bears team, you're without your top two receivers. You're moving your right guard to right tackle, and your quarterback is Jimmy Clausen. Um, but I mean, they just they overpaid Jared Allen. They just traded him to Carolina. They were sort of moving between that 4-3 and 3-4 personnel. Um, I was on a conference call with John Fox last week, and I asked him if, you know, bringing him in, because he was a former defensive coordinator, you bring in Vic Fangio. And I asked Fox if he was disappointed in the results, and he kind of paused and said, we knew when we took over we were going to have a long go with this particular personnel. That this doesn't surprise anybody in that front office. They knew that the former, the two former, Jerry Angelo and Phil Emery, a lot of mistakes were made, and 
this is probably the Nadir. This is the low spot of what's going to have to be a fairly major rebuild. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it probably is. They they have uh, they've only had one season where they've lost more than twelve games. I think at this point, that's they're trending towards that territory. They went one thirteen in nineteen sixty nine, uh, and so they haven't ever. Had that many, yeah, they haven't had that long a stretch where they're just horrendous in their history. Certainly some four and 12 years and five and 11, but um, this team, I don't think they challenge 0 and 16 because I think the coaching staff's too good. I think there's enough talent there for them to uh, pick off a few wins here and there, but they look like the worst team in the league through three weeks. And I think that they, you know, they're now they're selling off parts. Jared Allen, John Bostic, I wouldn't be surprised if a few more guys get dumped in the coming weeks here and uh this is this is going to be a long-term rebuild i think they they have they're looking at you know 50 60 million dollars in cap space headed into next offseason which is great but they're really bad they <laughs> might want to talk to gail sayers sayers i think that was the year he came back from the knee injury and ran for over a thousand yards and there was like nothing else on the team matt 14 might feel that way right now yeah, I mean, he was the guy I mentioned on Twitter last night. I think I think if they're really shopping everyone, yeah, uh, Matt Forte's contract's up after this year. He'll be thirty, so I don't know how much they'll want to commit long term to him anyway. Uh, if you want to return on something, certainly he would get you something of value of, above a sixth rounder like Allen brought in. So I, I don't know. I think it's going to be a very long, very difficult year for the players and the fans there. And the obvious, I mean, the 800-pound gorilla is, you know, when do you cut Jay Cutler or flip Jay Cutler and, you know, deal with those cap ramifications? I think there's one more year where it's really onerous, and then they can just bail. Chicago Bears, you are on the clock. Maybe Kevin Costner will star in draft day two for you guys uh, coming out this fall. Possibly. What, what was yours, Chris, taking the year off for golf? Uh, take the season off for golf, yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> Next, overreaction. The Giants got off the schneid last Thursday night against the Redskins. They are back. They are going to be the team to beat in the NFC East. They're going to take advantage of the Cowboys' injuries, the Philadelphia Eagles' slow start. The Giants are going to win the East, baby. Uh, they might. <laughs> I go, I'll give you that. I don't know that I can say that they will for sure, but uh, I think that, like you said, the Eagles are struggling, the I don't think the Redskins are necessarily in this for the long haul, even though they had a couple impressive performances the first two weeks. Um, and the Giants, you know, getting Victor Cruz back, they have the offense that can put up some points. If that defense can do anything, they they can compete. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't necessarily see them as being a 10-11 win team, but you might not need more than right. seven or eight wins. That. This could be one of those division you know, this could be one of those years in the NFC East where we talk about a 500, sub-500 team uh, winning it. So in that respect, I think that they're definitely in the mix. Uh, you'd feel better about it if they hadn't blown that game at Dallas. They'd really have early control. But That's what I'm saying. Uh, they're good enough. They should be 3-0 and right now. Well, right, and I think that's a valid point to some extent that they, you know, they, they should have beaten Dallas when Dallas was – mostly healthy you know they lost Dez in the middle of that game but when Dallas was healthy uh and they should have beaten Atlanta the next week so they're they're playing some decent football for what looks like an average team on paper 
Doug, the road for the Giants, they're going to win to the NFC East, right? Come on, uh, you're with me. Highly possible. I mean, we don't. Dallas looked good uh, last Sunday, but we don't know how sustainable that is. The Eagles, I flip a coin. I have no idea what the heck's going on with them. I mean, <laughs> they look terrible the first two weeks, and then they kill the Jets. I go figure. Uh, and the Redskins are the Redskins. So, you know, I'd say it's a better than 50 50 shot. You know, the the defense, their secondary has played really exceedingly well. And that's that's kind of the underreported story there. Pass rush is mad. The offensive line is weird. Um, Eli Manning is, um, Eli's played pretty well this year. I mean, it, it's, like Chris said, this could be one of those years where it's a 9-7 and seven team that takes it. And they look like they could go 9-7. and seven, So, sure, why not? Last overreaction to week three. If the Ravens lose to the Steelers on Thursday, John Harbaugh has to be on the hot seat in Baltimore. His team's terrible. His message has been lost. If he doesn't make the playoffs this year, he's got to go after this season. Am I right, Doug? Mm, no. Come why, on. Why is, it, why is it Harbaugh's fault? Why is it Harbaugh's because fault? Because he's the Flacco's coach. It's always, it's always the why coach's fault. Why is it John fault? Harbaugh's fault that the offensive line It's is always the coach's fault. Why is it John Harbaugh's fault that Suggs got injured and they don't have the complimentary pass rush to mask a really, really bad secondary. Don't be logical. Come on. Why is that Harbaugh's fault? Don't be logical. The Ravens are not the kind of team that does that. It's not going to happen. Chris, you're on my side with that one, right? I'm never on your side. You know that. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know how you All could. right, what, what's, the pro- what's, what's going on with them, though? Everybody had them in the, in the Super Bowl, at least in the playoffs. They're 0-3, not looking good at all. What's going on with the Ravens? Yeah, well, I mean, as Doug said, I think that there's issues at several spots on that roster. They haven't had Rashad Perriman in the lineup. They were counting on him to to replace, in essence, Torrey Smith as the big play threat in that offense. Uh, the, the offensive line has been surprisingly poor. And, yeah, losing Suggs was a huge hit, not only in the locker room, but in terms of now they're thrusting some, you know, you have to play younger guys that maybe aren't ready for the responsibilities. That the, They're just they're picking – yeah, you know they made a trade for a cornerback uh, a couple weeks ago. They're still trying to figure out that area. So I don't think you end up with Harbaugh in the hot, hot seat. He's done way too much for them in his tenure. I think if anything, this shows. Uh, you know, we always talk about him as being m- maybe the best GM in the league. Certainly one of the best GMs in the league. Uh, Ozzie Newsom. This is uh, so far a down year for him. It's been kind of surprising to see so many of his uh, moves or decisions to stick with guys not work out. And and it's only three weeks. I think they still could get things turned around. I think there's enough talent there to get it turned around. But uh, I don't see any for scenario unless they, you know, go 0-16 and Harbaugh gets, just loses his mind. I don't see a scenario where he gets fired. 2013, they went 8-8. Eight and eight. Flacco threw 19 touchdowns to 22 picks. I mean, the whole, hey, Joe Flacco is one of the top five, whatever. I mean, he is – he's not – he's a pocket passer with a great arm. He needs targets. He needs time in the pocket. Eugene Monroe's been hurt, so that affects his blind side. I think Urschel's been over there. Flacco's not played well, and they've sort of, in the last few years, built the team around him in the same way the Steelers have sort of built the team around Roethlisberger. So if Flacco doesn't play well, you know, the head leads the body, and it kind of all goes there. You um, also have to wonder, I, I, I mean, I talked I talk to Justin Forsett in the offseason, and he said that Mark Trestman's offense is same blocking scheme, same verbiage, same everything. 
But you have to wonder if the switch from Kubiak to Trestman isn't kind of slowing things down early in the season. Yeah, I was going to say, if anyone's on the hot seat, that's probably it. It's probably Mark Trestman. And the the luster, the shine's kind of off the apple there uh, when it comes to Mark Trestman. Because, you know, when he's hired by Chicago, that apple everyone has worms thought of him as a... Now. What's that? That apple has worms in it by now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everyone thought of him as the offensive guru. And then uh, and Josh McCown probably still thinks that. But certainly the Bears offense never took off the way everyone expected it to. Now he goes to Baltimore, and the Baltimore offense looks like it's taken significant steps back from Gary Kubiak. So that that's probably the first head on the chopping block if it gets to that point. I, again, I don't think they're at a, at a point yet where Harbaugh would be in trouble. Chris, Doug, that's our week three overreactions. Thanks for setting me straight. Thanks for talking me off the ledge. You get to do it next week for week four overreactions. Overreactions. But first, before we get to our next segment, let's take a break and get a very important word from our sponsor. Where, what is this? FanDuel. Yes, FanDuel. I love FanDuel. I'm a Chicago Bears fan, so I need FanDuel now more than ever. My team season is over, but on FanDuel, every week is a new season. Now with FanDuel, you can play with up to $200 in bonus cash with our code NFL Podcast. You've probably heard of FanDuel somewhere before. Here is what it is all about. FanDuel is the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. They will pay out, get this, over $75 million this week. We all love fantasy football, but a lot of fans miss out because the whole season is just too much of a time commitment. FanDuel does away with all of that. You can draft a team anytime and drop into tournaments for weekly cash prizes. Entry fees start at just one buck. There's a league for everyone. Over 1 million players have won money playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. Now it's your turn to get some of that cash. Go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Use the code NFL Podcast and sign up now. There's a special offer for new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel will match it with up to $200 that gets earned as you play. That's a bonus of up to $200, people. Offer is only good for the first 50 that use my code NFL Podcast today. So do not get left out in the cold. Winter is coming. Don't forget to use the code NFL Podcast. FanDuel, where every day is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Try it out today. And as you get your fantasy football team set this weekend, what's fantasy football without the inside edge? Sports Illustrated fantasy expert Michael Beller is my new colleague in the Panoply Network, and Michael serves up expert analysis and fantasy advice on not one, but two weekly episodes the SI Fantasy Football Podcast with Michael Beller, Mondays and Thursdays on iTunes and SI.com backslash podcasts. Welcome back, everybody, to the Sports Illustrated Audible's Football Podcast. I am John DiPietro here with Chris Burke and Doug Farrar. Now it is time for the cliched generic football term segment. The cliched generic football term segment. This week we're doing an over-under. Let's start with the Raiders. This is off of a tweet from Chris Burke. Over-under Raiders, six and a half wins. So, Chris, what do you think? Under-over, six and a half wins for the Oakland Raiders. 
I still think they come in under. I mean, I think six and ten, seven and nine is kind of the range, which is why I asked that question. I don't know that they're that they've certainly. I think they certainly look to have improved, especially Amari Cooper has been so far everything that they wanted him to be in that offense. So that's a huge step forward. I think they're better uh, in the trenches as I I think people expected them to be. But I don't know that they're quite a playoff contender yet. I don't know that they're really a 500 team yet. I think they, you know, they they beat the Ravens, they beat the Browns. We'll have to see. The schedule's not. Super forgiving. They don't have a lot of games that you look at and and circle and say, all right, that's probably a win. This week at Chicago might be the most obvious one left. So they could start uh, three and one after the Bears. That, that's interesting. Yeah, and then they have that. Denver in Week Five, which I if you get a three and one Raiders team at home against four and zero Denver, probably the biggest game in Oakland in uh, <laughs> I, I, who knows? It's uh, several years for sure. Uh, so, I mean, I think they go six and 10. That's if I had to update a prediction right now, that'd be my guess. I'm going to go just slightly over. I think they're an eight and eight team at this point because they have the most important thing you, an NFL team needs. And that's the right quarterback. I think Derek Carr is the real deal. Uh, Amari Cooper is, he's far and away the best receiver in this rookie class so far. Um, if they had, you know, outside of Charles Woodson, who's, you know, at the fountain of youth, if they had half a secondary, I might take them a little more seriously. The schedule, as Chris said, is, is pretty brutal down the stretch. I think they'll go seven to nine. And I think this, you know, when we talk about the Raiders as a rising team, I mean, we all sort of go, oh yeah, we pull the other. It's kind of like the Mariners, um, long suffering Mariners fan here. It's just, You've you've heard it for so long, and it's hard to believe. But I do think that Reggie McKenzie has this thing on the right track, and eventually it will pay dividends. You know, Denver's quarterback situation, Philip Rivers getting older. Who knows what the heck's going on in Kansas City right now? I think the Raiders could be a wild card team next year, compete for a division title in a couple of years. I mean, they are doing it the right way, and it's starting to show. So I'll say seven and nine, slightly over. Yeah, the MMQBs, Robert Klemko tweeted out yesterday that within two years, Reggie McKenzie was able to get a quarterback, wide receiver, and pass rusher in the draft, the three most important parts of uh, football in today's NFL. Next, over, under. Josh McCown starts in Cleveland, eight and a half. Over, under, eight and a half more starts for Josh McCown this season, Chris. Uh, I think that's under. Um, And and I mean... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just don't, again, we've talked about it before, I don't really see the value in playing him, and it was kind of on display in the in the loss to Oakland. I mean, there's just not a, a lot of upside on that offense when he's in there. I think he is a below-average starter in this league, and uh, it, it's an offense that has some playmakers, and we've seen Johnny Johnny Manziel make some of those guys better. I mean, Travis Benjamin certainly has elevated his game when Johnny Manziel's been in the lineup. Uh, so I, I just don't see them sticking with him beyond, you know, I, they're obviously slow playing their hand with Manziel and trying to stick to their preseason plan. But uh, McCown's had two starts now that the at least seven more to get <laughs> to over that 8.5 number. And if they give him seven more starts, I, I think this season's pretty much lost for them. So I don't know why they would continue to do this. 
Uh, I'll go with under because I have faith that eventually Mike Patton and Ray Farmer and those guys will figure it out and realize that Josh McCown is just a fundamentally limited quarterback who against better defenses will not be able to execute. Manziel, I mean, God knows there's a whole bunch of stuff he doesn't know how to do yet, but, you know, as Chris said, at a certain point, your season is over. And if at that point you're treading McCown out there, you're just looking to save your job. And I, people talk about, oh, well, we don't know what's going on in the quarterback room. We don't know this. We don't know that. Well, I don't care if Josh McCown is the one who always brings orange slices to the quarterback meetings. Johnny Manziel is a more dynamic quarterback, and that's, I thought, supposed to be what this was all about. Next, over under, 14 and a half Patriot wins in 2015. 14 and a half Patriot wins. Over under, Chris. Um... I want to say under because 15 and 1 is extremely tired. 16 and 0 again is extremely tough to do in the NFL. The schedule and the way that they're playing make it possible. Um I, I'll say under, but I I don't think by much. I think the way that they're going right now, the 13 and 3, 14 and 2 is very much in the realm of possibilities and again, that schedule is not not going to test them a ton. They go to Indianapolis, they go to the Giants, they go to Denver, um, but they get Dallas with no Romo, probably no Bryant. I don't think they're going to lose at home, so that's already eight wins there. I mean, I I could see them getting deep into the season with zero or one loss. I'll take the over. Tom Brady's angry. You wouldn't like him when he's angry. He's wearing his purple pants, too. Okay, next. I don't even know what that means. The Hulk wears purple pants. I was I was playing off of your Hulk reference. Oh, okay. That was a deep Hulk record. I don't know. Yeah. Gee, guys, read a read a book. <laughs> read a book. A book. <laughs> turn read on a the book. turn on the you're, interweb. You're, right? you're using shut a up. Hulk reference. Shut off. Shut off. Shut off the NFL Network for five seconds and do something else that's not football related. Go read Hulk books. Yeah. Okay. Look at pictures in a book. Yeah. Look at picture. Yeah. Look. At, read a comic book. Uh, okay. okay, okay, next over-under. DeMarco Murray, 899.5 yards rushing this year, Doug. Uh, under, I don't, honestly, after watching what Ryan Matthews did, I don't think he'll be the starter by the halfway through the season. Um, you know, I, I did a long piece on this last week. I, Murray is an outside zone, power counter trap guy. Chip wants inside zone. He wants, you know... I don't think DeMarco Murray fits what they do, and eventually I don't. he'll either be splitting reps or he'll be on the bench because I'm not sure he can figure it out. So I'll take the under. I think he finishes with about six or 700 yards. How about it, Chris? 899 and a half yards. It's over the, it's over the 88. And a half yards? It's o- <laughs> I think you added an extra nine. <laughs> it's over yeah, the 88. He's on we predict for what, 88? Or, well, less now. Less he didn't, he didn't play in week three. After week two, yeah. he was on pace for 88, so he's probably somewhere in the 60s. But I don't even know. I'll That's take stuff. over 89 and a half yards. Over. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll take under 899 and a half. I, I agree with Doug. I think he's probably in the – I said I think I said 800 or so last time we talked about him. I, I may have overshot that. I didn't foresee the injury or anything. And and like Doug said, that Ryan Matthews and Darren Sproles, uh, that offense didn't look great in week three, but the run game certainly was more effective with those two in the backfield. So it's going to be hard for Murray to get carries. I still think he gets into that uh, 700, 800 range when all is said and done, but I cannot see him getting to 
above, you know, in a 900, 1,000 yards. The way he's running, the the number of other options they have in the backfield, I think it's going to limit what he can do there. I can see an overreaction next week already when the Philadelphia Eagles need to cut DeMarco Murray. Next, over, under, Bears wins, one and a half in 2015. One and a half wins for the Chicago Bears this season, Chris. <laughs> uh over I, I mean i think they get to i think they kind of slop their way to 3 and 13 again i think the coaching staff there is is good enough for the long term for them to to help that roster and i think in the short term they'll find a way to get a couple at home you know just looking ahead on their schedule they they do oakland they probably I, I think i would pick oakland this week but that's a game that i think they can win they have San Francisco and Washington at home later in the year. Detroit at home later in the year. We don't know what the Lions will be at that point. So I think they'll get to 3-13 and 13, somewhere in there. But I think they're very much in the conversation for the number one overall pick. I think they're this year's 2-14 and 14 team, and I agree they're taking the season off for Goff. Off for Goff. I like it. All right, last over under. Coaches fired before the end of the season. One and a half. How many coaches get fired before the end of the season? Over under, one and a half, Doug. Uh, I'll go under. I think the only dead man walking is Joe Philbin. Uh, I could see if I could see maybe Levy Smith. Uh, if things fall completely apart in DC, maybe Jay Gruden. A couple other instances where it's a maybe, but I think uh, in the Buccaneers, they you know they just came off the Shiano thing. They invested a lot of belief in Levy. I think they'd give him till the end of the year. I mean, it's funny. Last year, the Dolphins went to London to fit, to play the Raiders and save their season, and Dennis Allen of the Raiders got fired. Joe Philbin's going back to London for another week for a game, and I think he could be coming back on the boat without a job. Uh, yeah, I think it's under. I, we just don't see a ton of coaches get fired in season, first of all, but there also aren't a ton of situations that necessarily jump out as being that terrible right now. I mean, I think there are some teams that certainly are performing below expectations, but to cut bait on a coaching staff you know, mid-year, you have to be really, really taking on water. And uh, I don't know that we're going to get there. I think certainly we'll have another rash of firings right at the end of the year like we always do. But I think Philbin, for now, is the only one in imminent danger. Uh, some other coaches definitely need to get their acts together, get their team's acts together. But I, I don't think we get over one and a half firings before Week 17 ends. And that's all for Over Under. That's all for the cliched generic football term segment for this week. The cliched generic football term segment. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Yes, the SeatGeek app. Everybody loves the SeatGeek app. Doug Farrar loves the SeatGeek app. Goes to see all of his country western shows. When he goes, he goes and gets his tickets. From the SeatGeek app. You want to go see Peyton Manning beat down punks half his age? The SeatGeek app is the best way to find amazing deals on football tickets. And when you use our code AUDIBLES, you will get $20 off your first purchase. The SeatGeek app takes less than a minute to download, and it's free on iPhone and Android smartphones. Doug Farrar loves the SeatGeek app. He cannot stop talking about it once we're off the air. He said, I got tickets to this, I got tickets to that, all, blah, blah, blah. Doug, come on, all right, enough, we get it. SeatGeek app is great, we all love it. 
you're not the only one. SeatGeek does a ton of things the other ticketing sites don't. Aggregating from big ticket sites, just like when you search for flights and hotels online, SeatGeek pulls in ticket options from hundreds of sellers to create a one-stop shop for sports and concert tickets. When you shop on SeatGeek, you're seeing virtually every ticket option available for that game all on one page. No need to go anywhere else. They also have this great new feature called the Deal Score. It ranks every ticket on the market with a 1 to 100 value score and plots the best deals on a color-coded interactive map of the venue so you can easily identify the best ticket values in the building at a single glance. There is no work involved, people. You gotta get the SeatGeek app. Finally, SeatGeek's mobile app makes the ticket buying process seamless, easy, and safe. On SeatGeek, you can store your credit card and once you find a ticket you wanna buy, you can complete the purchase with just one, two quick taps. There's no faster way to buy tickets. To redeem your promo code and save 20 bucks on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app today Enter the promo code AUDIBLES in the app. SeatGeek will then send you 20 bucks once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. If you want to go see the NFL, college football, or the best concerts, use the SeatGeek app and enter our code AUDIBLES to save $20. Welcome back to the Sports Illustrated Audible's football podcast. I'm John DePietro here with Chris Burke and Doug Farrar. And guys, at the end of the day... Next Monday, end of week four, Chris Burke, what will we be saying at the end of the day? Uh, I think at the end of the day, we're asking if the Philadelphia Eagles are the team to beat in the NFC East now, like we did with the Giants earlier in this podcast and like we had with the Cowboys in the first two weeks. I think Philadelphia goes into Washington, gets its second win in a row, gets to two and two. Uh, The Cowboys go to New Orleans, so that's kind of a toss-up right now, the way those two teams look. And the, the Giants are in Buffalo. I think that's probably a Buffalo win. So I think we're asking if the Eagles are back, if they're the team to beat in the NFC East at 2-2 two and two and with two straight wins after week four is over. Doug Farrar, at the end of the day, week four. We'll be asking ourselves, is Tyrod Taylor the long-term solution for the Buffalo Bills after the Bills uh, go to 3-1 and one against the Giants? He right now is top five in the NFL in completion percentage, yards per attempt, passing touchdowns, quarterback rating, and 25-plus yard completions. Um, there's a little movement going on in there uh, at that quarterback position in Buffalo for the first time in many, 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 many years. So something to watch there. Tyrod Taylor, watch out for this kid. And at the end of the day, watch out for Chris Burke and Doug Farrar as they drop football knowledge on you every Tuesday on the Audible's Football Podcast. Thank you guys out there for listening. Thanks for downloading. Go to iTunes to subscribe to the Audible's Football Podcast now, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.